When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not, but my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. This week, I speak to father and ultra marathon runner Ian Lawton. Food was my thing. It could be alcohol for someone else, it could be sex for another, it could be violence, it could be whatever way you, whatever it is you use to, to numb, to numb the pain, to get through it, to burst through it, to ignore it, to put a bandaid on it. When the last thing you think of doing is just openly talking about how you feel. And that's what we're told not to do. Yeah. Fuck off society. No, I, excuse my language, but I am done with shutting up because it was destroying me and my philosophy now is to just to speak up not man up because manning up is bullshit. Ian lives in Navin and Meath, is married to Jennifer and is the father of two sons, Ike who's 12 and Hank who passed away 10 years ago the day after he was born. In this conversation he gives us a profound insight into infant loss and the pain of a bereaved father. But not alone does he speak about loss and grief, but also about rebirth and moving forward with a newfound purpose. In just a year, he went from being morbidly obese to becoming an extreme runner, which led him to running 10 marathons in 10 days, finishing on what would have been Hank's 10th birthday this February. This September, he turns 50, an age he wasn't expected to live to see, and he'll mark it by embracing the challenge of the Kerryway Ultra, running the gruelling 200 kilometres through mountain passes, bogs, roads and trails. This was a deeply emotional and challenging conversation for him and I commend his rawness and his willingness to be real. I started by asking him what life was like for him ahead of the birth of his second son about 11 years ago. 
Yeah, I guess it was an exciting time. Um, we just uh, moved out of the big city. Okay. Um, kind of our tail between our legs, really, because it was uh, the tail end of the 28, uh, 2008 recession. You know, I think we stuck around Dublin for a little while. And I guess the recession pushed us out of, out of Dublin, so we ran tail between our legs out to the country. And uh, we kind of embraced going out into the country. Let's raise our family here out of the big city. And, and adding to the family, obviously, was, was uh, a logical step in that. And, and, you know, expanding the family and the experience of being a parent, because, you know, being a parent is... It's the it's the reason I exist, you know. Mm, mm. It's a, it's a. Sorry, I wasn't expecting to get emotional yeah, yeah, this early, but yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, planning another expanding the family was was uh, was you know a joyful thing to do, you know, and we embraced that wholeheartedly. And uh, pregnancy was was going grand, you know. Um, I guess I was I was in a a tough place financially. Uh, I lost my job, made redundant the tail end of the recession, about nine days after my my eldest son uh, Ike was born. Uh, so I took on the role of uh, the stay-at-home dad. Um, so that was uh, our circumstance kind of dictated that, and uh, you know instead of fighting against it, uh, I embraced it as much as I possibly could because you know typically. The male role is to be the provider, and uh, so you know you're at the playground with a buggy, and you meet another dad, and they're like, kind of miserable about it. And going, you're seeing a lot more of us these days, aren't you? You know, post recession, mm. and um, I was kind of no, no. Let's. This is an opportunity. Mm. You know, this is not. You know, our fathers, our grandfathers didn't have the opportunity to experience this. So let's let's live every day to the to the fullest and you know yeah you know you could change a nappy with one hand while you're yeah. getting the dinner ready you know it was you know I, I to be honest I really fell for it I really enjoyed it went into it you know so you know to have another baby on the way was you know let's the icing on the cake. bring it bring it on yeah, yeah bring it on um I'm, I'm kind of dancing around getting into the area of of um how they you know, I guess it came to an abrupt halt. Um, I, yeah, I had fallen asleep on the couch um, watching telly. Um, we just entered the third trimester by a good few days, maybe a week or two. Um, it's hard. It's really hard to remember exact, yeah. you know, uh, dates and things like that. But um, I just remember. My wife waking me up on the couch and uh, so I've fallen asleep on the couch and it was um thought she was waking me up you know to to get to bed <laughs> but uh, she's like uh, my water's broke and I'm like uh, I I don't see how that's possible we're not even in that you know are you sure you know and she said no no it's definitely definitely the water's broke and uh so I rang around to doctors on call. That was the middle of the night. Um, you know, Ike was asleep upstairs, age two, and and it was like wanting to get like, ah, you'll be grand on the phone. Go yeah. back to bed. Everything's okay. But it was like, no, get yourself to the nearest maternity hospital immediately. So uh, 
long story short, we found someone to, to look after Ike and uh, tore into Dublin. And um, yeah, she was ad admitted into the ward of, of women basically ready to go. And uh, what struck us was that their bellies were much larger. Mm and Jennifer's and we were just a little, you know, she was very freaked out. I was, I was too, but I didn't want to show that. Mm. <clears throat> and um, she was being looked after, went home, uh, brought Ike in to see her the next, the, the next day and everything was going great, big smiles. I took him to uh, the Phoenix Park afterwards and we were playing in there at the playground. And then I got a call from the hospital to say that um, that emergency delivery was the only words I heard. Okay. And I'm across town in the Phoenix Park with a two-year-old boy, and I'm like, I got, and home is in Navin, so I had to, you know, break every law to get him, look, to someone to look after him so I could get right back in. And I got to the hospital. I missed, I missed the birth. Um, and... I'm reluctant to go into too much detail, but it was an emergency delivery. Um, I went into the, the, the delivery room and it was empty apart from, from Jay and um, she didn't get to see him. Okay. Um, he was taken to the special care baby unit immediately. Uh, so I just, I looked after her as best I could, got her back to the ward and I was invited then the opportunity to, to go up and, and, and see Hank. He wasn't Hank at this point yet. Mm. Um, but uh, I went up to the special care baby unit. She was unable to. Um, mm. And I had been in that room, in that special care baby unit, two, two years prior with Ike. Ike was um, about two weeks premature and I had a little bit of a cough. So I remember being in that room two years earlier and seeing all the other incubators with all these tiny little premature babies and being so relieved that, oh, because Ike looked enormous compared to the rest of them. And I was like, oh, I'd hate to be the parent of one of those babies. You know, that must be, tr that must be awfully traumatic. And here I am two years later uh, being led into the same room. And I mean, the place is wall-to-wall -wall incubators, but before he was even pointed out to me, I knew which one he was and and the weird thing is about this pregnancy is that I was I was a little detached a little detached because I had I was so in love with my my first son sure, yeah. that I thought I was a little freaked out thinking I'm I'm maxed out here with love I don't know where I'm going to supposed to get all this other love from to give to this other kid that's on the way. And I, I, was, I was upset about that and I was freaked out. And I, I told one of my uh, mates about this, uh, who had two kids, two sons, and I thought, he, and he says, yeah, I kind of felt a bit like that as well until, until he, the second boy came along. And, and as soon as I saw him in the incubator, um, the, the, the overwhelming mm. sense of love that I felt made my knees buckle and I fell to the floor. It was so overwhelming. And just, just he was so tiny. 
And the doctor brought me up and I, I sat with, with him and it's the only... the only, only time I ever had with him and uh, I'll keep that to myself if that's okay course, but it was it was a beautiful experience and and I treasured that you know and um, I went downstairs to Jennifer and I just gushed at how beautiful he was just gushed at how incredible and incredible he was and, and I said let's call him Hank Hmm. He needs a. Am I allowed to swear? Of course you are. Uh, he needs a fucking man's name. He needs yeah. a cowboy's name. You yeah. know, he needs like a Johnny Cash boy name Sue kind of <laughs> Love it. Yeah. tough guy name because he was so tiny. I figured he just needed all the help he could get. You know, that mm. this was guy was going to grow up to be just this hulking brute of a masculine man. You know. Mm. Um, and uh, she's like. Yeah, that's that's my dad's favorite singer, Hank Hank Williams. Hank Williams. So right. yeah, that's that'll do. Mm. So he he became Hank right then and there. Hank Charles Norman Lawton, his full name. And um Yeah, once I, I went back home, I had to get back home, obviously with a two uh, two year old boy there. I got home and, and I was just just elated, you know, a new boy and the love that I thought I wasn't going to have for him was poof, mm. like exploded into existence. It was overwhelmingly incredible. And I looked after Ike. I said, we're going to go in tomorrow and we're going to see your new, your new little brother. And just incredible. And I don't know when was the last time I slept, but I climbed into bed that night. And just as my head hit the pillow, it was like the phone rang. Yeah. And uh, it was Jay. They want you to come back in. And obviously, the, the shorthand of that is that come back in to, because he's not going to make it. So I, I had to find, you know, uh, someone to look after, like again, and like broke every law, hurtling back into Dublin. And I got there and straight to the special care baby unit and just to see, there were just, his incubator was, was surrounded by people and just fighting to keep him alive. He was very little. But he was so strong. I, I mean, I'll never forget the just the, the tiny little digits that held the tip of my finger and squeezed so hard. He knew I was his dad, you know. Yeah, yeah. He knew it. Yeah. And it, it was it was surreal to be just to. You know, as a parent, as a father, you want to do whatever it is in your power to just help and make the bad thing go away. Yeah. And the profound sense of helplessness of like, let me do that. Let me squeeze the thing to make him breathe. Let me, you're doing it wrong. I, you know, 
there's all these thoughts go through your head. You just want to scream, just rip whatever you need out of me. Just don't let him die. Yeah. But they fought really hard. And um, the, the decision was made that uh, to take him off, to let him breathe by himself. And And Jennifer held him and was able to say goodbye. The strongest woman I've ever had the honor of knowing. She just said goodbye with dignity and I was just pleading with him not to die. And just, I couldn't. There was nothing I could do. Yeah. Nothing. And um, I hugged everyone in the room and thanked everyone in the room. And we went downstairs, and they had given us a, uh, given Jay a private room with a single bed. And and they were like, "We'll we'll go get you a mattress." And they were fussing over me, and I'm like, "No, no, no! Don't just look after Jay. I'm, I'm grand. Just I'm not the one who lost the baby. She did, you know." And they got the mattress, and I'm like, "Please, you're grand. Just I'm okay." And they set me down on the on the the, the mattress, and and that's the last thing I remember. I just I just I passed out. And um, the next morning, or however, I, I mean, I didn't sleep. I just lost consciousness. Yeah. And. Uh, the next morning I'm hearing all this chatter uh, you know just hospital intercoms and things like that and just for one tiny fraction of a second I was like it's a dream oh thank Christ it's a fucking dream you know and then the sudden re realisation of all these nebulous sounds that I was hearing no that's hospital oh and I sat bolt upright and there was Hank at the foot of the bed in in the you know, the, the maternity yeah, case cost that they have for newborns. And then minutes later, the, the doctor who had delivered him the previous day came bursting into the room with all the joys of spring, with a big smile on his face to see the new baby he delivered the day before. And clearly nobody had told him before he started a shift and he walked in the room and he just threw his hands up and just went, no. And that just made that, that really, I was like, did nobody tell you? And it just, it made it so much more real to see someone else upset. Yeah. And I, I, I just wanted, to, I was frozen in place and I, I just wanted to hug him uh, and let him know that it was okay. But I, I just couldn't move. I just stood there. I mean that's 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 that was that was the two days, February the first and February the second. He was born on the first, died on the second, and 
You know, so from one extreme joy to just having it ripped from your very essence the very next day is just, it was cruel. It was absolutely cruel. But the fact is, is that this happens every single day, you know. And we don't, as a society, want to know about this horror. We don't want to know. Um, you know, when a, when, a, when a spouse loses their partner, they're a widow or a widower. When a child loses their parents, they're, they're an orphan. There's a language, you know, they're acknowledged. But bereaved parents, particularly bereaved parents of infant loss, we just don't exist. You're expected to, you know, uh, you, what are you so upset about? You know, you didn't get a chance to know the person. You know, it's, you're supposed to, you know, there's a statute, statute of limitations of how long you should be upset for, you know. But it, it, it remains with you every day. I mean, it's, that love didn't die the next day. That's yeah. still very much alive right now, a decade later. Well, you can, like, I can feel it from you. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful. And still talking about something so devastating is so painful. So It's like it happened last weekend. You know, it? it's yeah. really, it's so, it's so vivid. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I mean, I, I did what society dictated for seven years I just you know I was supposed to you know man up and and just get on with it and suck it up and and it destroyed me you know yeah. it really destroyed me um just not only mentally but physically too um what where I saw comfort and solace was uh was food mm. uh, almost to the point of gluttony, almost to the point of addiction. You know, it was, uh, I ate covertly, I ate secretly. I would wait for everyone to go to bed and I'd get to the chipper before it shut and I'd order so much food that I'd be like, can I have another fork? Because I was too embarrassed to acknowledge that all this food was for me at 11 o'clock at night, you know? Mm. And I'd find a place hidden, hidden away and I'd just gorge myself and it felt so good. It just felt wonderful just to feel that sort of warm, comforting hug from within, you know, and it really just, it ticked all the boxes, you know, on a very sort of primal kind of level. Um, and just really satiating and fulfilling and that you just go to bed comfortably warm with that sort of almost borderline discomfort of, of overeating, you know. Mm -hmm. And that over time, you know, damages damages the physical body you know it completely damages you so if you felt going to bed say after having going to the chipper and, and having whatever you were eating like the chips burgers whatever how would you feel when you woke up in the morning you kind of try and stay asleep as long as possible you'd okay. ignore the the alarm clock you hit snooze over and over and over again you're just you're defeated absolutely defeated and the hunger just just never goes away. You're constantly feeding that hunger, and um, yeah, it's 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 um, it's it was almost like it was impossible to make to feel comfortable. Yeah, you know, it was always temporary. You know, so behind the hunger, it's just sadness, it's just grief, grief, just unacknowledged grief. Yeah, um, you know when when. In the aftermath, it was always a case of like, how's Jennifer? How's she doing? And uh, like, you'd, you'd answer and then you're like, 
it's my baby too. You know, I've got to ask how I'm doing. Yeah. I'm fucking dying here. Yeah. And you just ask me how I'm doing. No one even think to think of it, you know? Yeah. Because dads don't lose babies. That's society sees it. Dads don't lose babies. When you say that, it is... No, don't, don't be sorry at all. Because I, I think what you're doing is a very selfless thing, having these conversations, you know, being so open through your experience because of the impact your pain, unfortunately, but your pain and your experience, but also your recovery. And now you are a source of huge inspiration for so many people. But by owning it and, and reflecting what you went through and how society behaves towards differently towards mothers and fathers is, is a really important message because we sometimes don't realize that we are conditioned to think a certain way, yeah. but, but we are and, and it needs to change. And even bereaved fathers are guilty of that conditioning too, as was I for seven years, because, you know, I'm not supposed to be upset about this. I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to man up, you know, I'm supposed to be the strong silent type, you know, I'm supposed to bottle it down and carry on, soldier on, you know, and it's so damaging. Yeah, it's and you know, so all damaging. those statements that you've just said, mm. they are, they are damaging, aren't they? hundred mm, percent, because... What does man up even mean? You know, it's it's, it's it, I actually, to be honest, I find that statement offensive. I think it's it's so demeaning because it is. Um, it, it sort of says that what your your feelings are irrelevant. Yeah, your feelings are not important. These things that matter to you on a on an emotional level. Should be ignored are irrelevant and that you should just, you know, grow a pair I mean really think about the the phrase grow a pair yeah. you know uh, have some balls they're the most fragile things on the on the human anatomy you just flick one when you're, the person is out for the count you know? <laughs> yeah. so uh, why is that you know uh, uh, yeah. it's important that we look at these things isn't it yeah, yeah. and I just think back on I mean it's a it's a it's a systemic problem mm. when you think back on um, on sort of the cloud of of repression that we, uh, as Ireland as a nation in particular, I mean, I only speak as an Irish person because I'm Irish, you know, I, I know this is for the whole world needs to sort of cop onto this, but uh, Ireland in particular with, where it's like my, my, my grandparents on my mother's side, my mother's parents, they were, you know, devout Roman Catholics, you know, and so, it was the rhythm methods, contraception was, you know, that's you know, flies in the face with Jesus. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're out of the way. So they, she, my, my grandmother, uh, my mum's mum, she was pregnant for, I'd say, over 20 years in, mm. in a row, you know, and she lost babies. And, you know, they're buried out on un unconsecrated ground outside, you know, the, where the family plots are because they're. You know, so they're on a systemic level that 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 these babies that mean so much to mums more so in those days. But I I, I kind of questioned my my granddad going off to the pub every evening. What was he suffering? You know. Yeah. 
maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I'd say he bloody did, mm-hmm. you know, because he loved his kids. You know, he loved his kids. He loved his grandkids. I was one of his grandkids. I know how much he loved us, you know. So I can't imagine the torture that he he must have gone through as well. That, you know, and and men, you know, food was my thing. It could be alcohol for someone else. It could be sex for another. It could be violence. It could be whatever way, whatever it is you use to to numb, to numb the pain, to get through it, to burst through it, to ignore it, to put a bandaid on it when the last thing you think of doing is just openly talking about how you feel and that's what we're told not to do yeah fuck off society no i excuse my language but i am done with shutting up because it was destroying me and my philosophy now is to just to speak up not man up because manning up is bullshit and and it wasn't until i sat at a table after seven years of this where i became like morbidly obese from the amount of food I was taking in. I mean, I wasn't, you know, Mr. Svelte or anything prior to that. You know, I was the middle-aged spread kind of came in and I didn't really look after myself that well. I was just a normal bloke, just a normal overweight bloke. And, you know, as you get older, weight kind of stays on you. Yeah, yeah. Not something I ever really bothered with. I was never Mr. Athlete or anything like that. So I just kind of took it as it came. And then as you're putting on uh, weight, it's a weird thing because you you blame the washing machine for shrinking your T-shirts. You blame the clothing manufacturers for mislabeling things. You blame anything but yourself, yeah. you know, holding on to visceral fat. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's a funny thing. It's like it's happened. It happens so subtly and so gradually over time, you know, and gets to the point where you just don't want to catch your reflection in the mirror, you know, because you don't like what you're seeing. And it's not the aesthetic thing. It's it's what it means, because the morbid obesity for me, and I can only speak on for myself, morbid obesity was a physical manifestation of my depression, 100%. There's no two bones about it. And, um, yeah, until I met, until I met a group of men, um, in a, in a bereaved uh, father's group that was put on by a little lifetime. Um, they were a crowd that I was became aware of back in 2011 after Hank passed. I think we were given some leaflets. I mean, there was a lot of confusion around that time, you know, and there was a lot of, a lot of help offered. Um, and I do remember hearing about them, but I didn't think... That was for me, you know. I didn't think it was a, it was a, anything that it was that would suit me. Um, for whatever reason, I can't really put my finger on why I avoided any kind of care or help or therapy. Maybe it was just how I saw or heard those words. They just didn't sit right with me. And they, you know, it was the group hugs and touchy feely or whatever it is. And I don't know what what made me avoid them for so long. Until after seven years of absolute self-destruction, um, I heard of a dad's only group and they had dad's only in capital letters. Yeah. And I could, just to draw the attention and it drew my attention. Um, and what they had noticed when they were putting on their sort of group therapy sessions for couples, they noticed that the, the dads who showed up in these environments were there to support the mum yeah and the mum would speak openly the mums would speak openly and very rarely if ever 
the man would, would spe speak up. So very astutely, they decided, you know, we need to address this and put on a dad's only group. And when I found out about that, it just, it really spoke to me. And um, I thought, that's, that, that, that's appealing. Mm. And I remember sending an email, writing an email to find out what the address was and where it was on and, and that kind of thing. And as soon as I hit send, I, just, I burst into tears yeah. because I realized I was taking a step in, in a direction where I hadn't gone for so long and it was out of my, my comfort zone. And then my heart beating so hard when I got the reply and, uh, and, and just the, the courage to get out of that comfort bubble that I had found myself in as a, like, I really locked myself away for those seven years. You know, I was sitting on my arse, clicking a mouse and, you know, hiding away and not being social and just getting unhealthy and sick. And it was, again, it was just, it was a manifestation of my mental state, you know, sure. because yeah, yeah. I wasn't able to articulate or acknowledge what it was that I was going through. And pulled up outside um, their premises. And again, I, I, I just, just waves of tears would come, you know, going, what am I, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Mm. I should, no, I should, no, I go home, I'll go home, I'll go home. But something I can't articulate compelled me to continue going forward. So I opened the car door, put the keys in my pocket, rang the doorbell. I'm like, keep going, keep going. And they welcomed me in. It was all great. And I'm like, you know, it, it was like their voices were underwater, you know, the, the welcoming. And I'm like, OK, OK. And I, there was a big round table and I sat at it. And we laugh about it now, the lads in the group. Um, they said one, one foot was under the table, the other foot was out the door. You know, mm -hmm. the way I was sitting, my body language, I was like ready to run. Yeah. You know, um, I was not comfortable there. My head was down and all these other guys sat around the table and and they began the meeting with one guy who he begins every meeting just by recounting his story from it's close to 20 years ago thereabouts and as he told his story I just my head sunk down into my chest and I was just I wanted to leave because what he was saying was like so real and true and honest and raw and I could relate to every letter he was saying mm. I could I was like that's you did that I know that I know that you know that. I know that oh my god I can't I can't be here I can't be here but I fought myself to stay seated I fought myself to stay there till the end of the story and then what happened during that, during that first meeting is that everyone took turns recounting their story. And it came to my turn and... I couldn't speak. It yeah. was just everything that I repressed for seven years. Just I couldn't breathe. It was just fighting it, just tears and just, you know... I can't even find the words to explain it, but it was just like, it was like an exorcism. You know, it was just all these raw emotions coming out of me. And Peter, who was leading it, just said, it's okay, and we can come back to you if you're not ready. And I was like, go to the next guy. I went to the next guy, Keith, and 
they all took turns. And as everyone spoke, I realized that everyone was telling the exact same story. Mm. The character names were different. The events were different. The dates were different. The names were different. But at its core, we were all telling the same story. And it was at that moment I realized I'm not alone. Yeah. And that's what was killing me. I thought for over those seven years, I knew intellectually that I couldn't possibly be the only dad to have experienced infant loss, but emotionally, that's how I felt. I thought I was completely alone in the world until I met these guys. And it was... It was just profound, cathartic, and I left that meaning smiling and laughing, you know? Wow. Just just joyful. Just fe- I felt so much lighter. Yeah. You know, I was still morbidly obese at that point. But uh, wow, it was just unbelievable. And you the were guy, part of something. Huh? You were part of I, something. Yeah. Yeah. I was just these this secret group. Yeah. This little secret group of people that nobody wants to be a member of. Jesus, to qualify to be a member of this group. No way. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Sure. But there was the guy who was next to me, Keith, who has become one of my closest friends. You know, he just put his hand on my shoulder at the end of that. And he says, um, just make sure you come to the next one. Yeah. And I kept my promise. And it took a year for me to meet him again because it's the way the, the, the group is designed. It's that free, you can dip in and out of it. There's no meet, not commitment. It's there as mm. an anchor for people. If you need to come in, you come in. And um, so I didn't see Keith for another year. And at that point... When he met me again, he didn't know who I was. And I remembered him. Yeah. I said, Keith, I've been wanting... Because that just that simple little gesture of putting a hand on a shoulder. Mm. So, and that little simple little sentence, make sure you come back. Just so throw away. And you know, it's funny you say that because there is such a power in... Um in touch yeah there's way to it isn't there there's so much way to it yeah and i think we've been so deprived of that during this time that we, time, yeah. we we know mm. a lot of us are are craving that i certainly miss it massively i miss miss that connection with people um because sometimes you don't have to say a word but reaching out a hand someone or or like that putting a, your hand on somebody's shoulder just to kind of give them that reassurance mm. or the feeling that they're you're there for them is it's um it is very powerful. It means so, a lot, yeah. so there was that there was that connection or bond in a like in a relatively short time. You instant, only, exactly instant because we we had been through the war. Yeah, we knew exactly what. Uh, and the weird thing is, is that I meet parents with kids all the time, and I never remember the kids' names. Yeah, but I yeah, yeah. Always remember the names of their their lost baby. I don't know what it is. It's, yeah, it's okay. a weird. It's a weird thing. So, um, yeah, Mia, just you know. Back in January, she would have turned three and uh, I went out and did a, a run for her, you know, just because I know how much she means to him, my friend Keith, and, you know, and what he means to me just for that simple little gesture is just, yeah. you know, and I think that's that's what we need. We're like, even just in that instance of just bereaved father's group is that we're stronger together yeah and that radiates outwards you know to the whole world we are stronger together and to fight against each other is just it's it's you know it's destroying each other it's destroying the planet it's destroying Mm. you know you can ready to pop the question 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. expand and expand and expand but at its core it's just people connecting yes and that's what we need fundamentally in society is people connecting i agree wholeheartedly so that that first night meeting keith and then meeting him again a year later and Mm. you saying that he didn't recognize you (laughs) the reason he didn't recognize you is that you had gone through a transformation and not just a physical one on every level. So who was the Ian he met a year later? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there's so many layers to that, I guess, sure. um, in what happened in that one year. I mean, on a, on a superficial level, I, I lost half my body weight. Um, but that's not why I... Of course, you know, it was never for aesthetics. It was never for vanity. It was just I needed to. I guess I want I needed to be the best dad I could be for Hank's older brother, Ike. Um, I remember. uh, I remember lying in bed at night where you're completely relaxed. You're in bed at night. You're not you're not, you know, excelling any energy expelling any energy, you're not doing anything cardio, you're not doing anything like that. And I was lying completely flat and relaxed on my back and noticed that I was kind of just wobbling and pulsing. And, you know, like the flesh of my belly was kind of wobbling, you know, and it's a weird thing to admit. It's very, uh, but um, what what I noticed, well, it's my heart was just struggling so hard to just pump blood around my body to keep me alive because I was killing it. And, uh, you know, Ike was about about to turn 10, I guess, at the time, and he was in the next room, and I just thought, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to die. 
and it came from the core of my very essence of my being that I'm going to die. Like it was told to me by a doctor a few years earlier than that, you know, you're not going to live to see 50 the way you're, you know, the way you, if you if you don't make some kind of change. She was trying to determine what, you know, what um, blood, blood pressure medication to put me on for the rest of my life. And I'm like, no, I, I'm not, no way. And I never went back, you know, because I was so, you know, depression really stops you thinking rationally. It stops yeah. you, it makes you hide. Were you in denial? Absolutely. Yeah. I was like, ignore it and it'll go away. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, you know, you're driving a car and there's someone in the passenger seat and you take a corner too fast and the person in the passenger seat gets scared and goes, I think you better slow down. And you're like, I'm grand. I'm driving. It's all good. But if you take the same corner yourself and it comes from within, oh, I better slow down because I nearly... You know, it's only then that you listen. Yeah. That's a weird thing in the human mind that, it, you know, unless it comes from within, you really not, it's so easy to, to dismiss and not pay attention to it. And I, it was like a wake up call when I just realized I'm going to die. And it was, it was, it was so upsetting that I just thought, no, this is, it's all real. Fuck, it's all real. Mm. I got to do something. And, um, and yeah, I just uh, this was about this was actually about a week or thereabouts before that father's meeting. Mm. So that really sort of, you know, it was like uh, getting a gravity assist, like a rocket ship getting a gravity assist from another planet and shooting off into the, you know, like Voyager heading off out into the into the into the cosmos. So um, so that dad's group really helped propel me forwards you know and, and I was like right I've got some meaning behind this now it's not just like a health emergency I've got some meaning and emotion behind this and every single day was just uh like I don't I don't call it weight loss I call it health gain because mm. that's what I was fighting for was gaining my health back and and you know the the sort of superficial you know weight loss I mean it was nice to get compliments you know, on a superficial level, who doesn't like compliments about your appearance? But that's not what I was fighting for my life. You know, I wasn't out to, you know, fit into a nice suit so I could attend a wedding and look good in the photos. I was fighting for my life. Yeah. And because, you know, I just thought my my dad around my age <clears throat> at that time, I was 20 when he nearly died of a massive coronary. And that's where I was heading. Right. was a massive coronary, so heart disease was in, my, it was in my family. And I remember coming back, I was in Dublin in college, I went back home to see him <sighs> sitting in the hospital bed, this sort of sunken grey man after, you know, he survived, obviously, yeah. and he's still with us. Yeah, great. And, um, you know, amazing man. I felt like my rock was crumbling, mm. you know, and I was 20. I was an adult and I was like, felt like a little 10 year old boy. I'm losing my dad. And, it, you know, it was so upsetting to see him like that. But, you know, he survived and all good. But I just thought like, Christ, Ike is 10 years younger than I was at that point. I don't want to do I don't want to do that to him. So in a very weird way, he saved my life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's lovely because yeah. I, owe, I, I owe both my boys my life. Because, you know, 
like when I, when I, you know, I lost half my body weight in a very short period of time. It's about eight, nine months or thereabouts. Like I was, um, I was over 350 pounds, like at my, at my heaviest. Um, like fat guys don't like to go on weighing scales. We don't want really, you know, you don't want to know what, how much you weigh. You get to a certain point and it's like, I'm not going on the weighing scales anymore. So it could have been a lot more, but, uh, I know BMI is rubbish because, yeah. but yeah. I was still in the late forties of a BMI. So that easily put me into the category of morbidly obese. So, uh, all the health conditions about that, you know, hypertension and pre-diabetic and, you know, just destroying myself. So, so the weird thing was, is that <clears throat> once, once that sort of weight loss occurred, again, health gain occurred, mm. it just made me feel better not again not not talking about aesthetics or anything like that but just going out and being able to walk without being out of breath to put on socks without sweating with a red beetroot face simple little things like that and, yeah. and just like geez i need to my belt i need to put an extra hole in this and and so i was never getting on the scale it was all these like oh, i haven't worn this t-shirt in, in 20 years it fits you know that kind of gives you a little bit of a little bit of confidence, a little bit of self-esteem kind of starts to rise up a little bit. And um, yeah, I was out walking my dog uh, November, I guess, 2018 it was May. It's actually today's the I told you that earlier. Yeah, actually, for those listening, because I, I didn't want to cut across you, but mm. I, I do find it interesting. It's It's happened a number of times on conversations I've had where there is a significance to a date mm. that I'm oblivious to, but the universe works in, in her own mysterious ways. ways. Yes, yes. But you, you were talking to me about the significance of May 17th and today mm. is Monday, May 17th. So can you share that with us? It's three years since I sat down to that breakfast where I was determined to save my life three yeah. years to the day. Wow. So, I mean, I can go into what the last three years were yeah, yeah. next, because I guess that's the that's the next chapter, isn't it? I suppose yeah. in, in the story, um, because something really profound happened that November, walking my dog, mm. um, just feeling lighter in my own body, in my own mind, just sort of fresher. I mean, I love being out in nature anyway, and I just living in Meath. There's a lot of it's a very flat. Um, county so mm. there's but there's a lot of bog land and things like that and nature reserves and you know a lot of sort of wildlife and I like being wild and out in life you know and uh, yeah. so I was out walking my dog <coughs> she's great because you know she's uh, part husky so she needs to get out a mm. lot so that keeps you going and it was a day like that where I was just I was walking along with her and she's sprinting back and forth and I was just messing with her and I just this it's hard to describe because, and, and I hope I never find the right words for this, and I hope I never distill what this feeling is. I just want to let it be what it was. But it was a compulsion to run. And I ran. And it was only for a few seconds, but Jesus, I felt like I was like a little baby boy. I just felt like uh, like I was flying. There was a, it was, you know, it was awful terrain big potholes and things like that's around the cir circumference of bog so it's not exactly a, 
manicured path or anything like that. So I, I ran along and there was a big dip and I jumped over it. I hadn't jumped in probably 20 years and it, honestly, I felt like I was flying. It was incredible. And I just started laughing. <laughs> I'm alone on a bog, like, you know, a 40-odd-year-old man running with his dog, <laughs> laughing on a bog. It's just, you know, it's a, you know, if anyone saw me, it was like, what the, f who's this nutbag, you know? <laughs> but it just, it's, um, it just awoke this sort of childlike zest for life within me. And you know, you you've a kid. You know, you bring them out to, into nature. They see a green field, and boom, they're gone like a bullet. You know, yeah, they just yeah. run. You know, they're gone. Totally. And it's yeah, and it, that's what awoke inside me. You know, this childlike feeling, and in a, in a, just in a very real way, it it just connected me with Hank. It really just like mm. it awoke something. You know, that that love that hit me that day when when he was born. It just sizzled it, you know, it, it gave it spark, mm. you know, mm. it was just, inc I wasn't doing anything. I said, I'm not going to suppress this. I'm just going to go with it, you know, and I went, I went to, I went to the, the sports shop, like a place where I'm Mr. Imposter. I never felt comfort in that, in that environment, you know, and oh, I went in, I found the cheapest pair of running shoes I could find on sale. You know, they were like 22 quid. I thought, well, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to tell anybody about this and just take them home. And I hid them, didn't show them to anybody. And I said, you know, it's 22 quid. If I end up not using these and they end up in the bin, it's not that big an investment. I'm not spending 150 quid on some posh ultras or anything like that. So, um, so what I did was, and this is funny, um, there's a, an industrial estate near where I live. <clears throat> and after six o'clock, it's a wasteland, you know, because it's a dead end. So there's no, nobody there. And I was still still pretty large at this point. You know, I wasn't Mr. You know, Mr. Athlete or anything like that. Not that I am now or anything. But um, <clears throat> I went down there and I started to teach myself how to run by running for 10 seconds at a time, walking for 30 seconds, running for 10 seconds, walking for 10 seconds. And just to chase that feeling of youth yeah, 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 <laughs> of yeah. the childness not yeah. youth as such but that childlike feeling yeah <clears throat> and i started to build up and build up just over time and i'd go out in the evening and this the funny thing is is this is where i would go to have those sneaky chipper chips you know mm, this right. is where i'd go to gorge myself so i was going you know doing something very different wow that's so i was hidden away yeah. doing something very different to what i was doing hidden away you know earlier earlier than that but the difference i suppose was that first sitting in the car yeah. you know eating the chips was the the byproduct of that was not good for you mm. whereas this one was absolutely. actually the yeah. absolute opposite which there's, is there's great. no driving home with the windows open to get rid of the smell of vinegar so you won't get caught out in that scenario you know yeah yeah and that's that was the fear as well of getting caught it was very you know that's that's addictive behavior that's yeah, you know yeah, okay. yeah you're hiding like, I got to get out to a different bin. You drive somewhere else to find a bin to dispose of stuff, you know, so you're not putting it in the refuse in the house. It's real. Uh, it's it's, not, it's not, not a good way to be. Yeah. yeah. And there'll be people listening to this who are in that right now, mm. who are, you know, listening to you going, this is my life, you know. So the amount of people that you can, I feel, potentially and positively impact is huge. 
because you're not just speaking to people who are bereaved parents. You're also speaking to people who have, you know, suffering with their mental health. I always imagine the people listening and who they might be. And I just feel yeah. there's, there's a there's a lot of suffering and a lot of pain, particularly in this time that um, there's a lot of secrecy and a lot of isolation happening mm. and people are trapped in whatever's going on for them. So by you speaking so openly is it's hugely beneficial. But yeah, so um, so just polar opposite. So different. Big time. Yeah. And yeah, I just I kept going, kept mm. at it because uh, I gave myself little goals. Did you? And I think that's that's the secret is to, you know, nobody gets looks at the foot, you know, stands at the foot of Everest and goes, right. Oh, that's going to be easy. Yeah, they, no. They stand there yeah, yeah. and they're overwhelmed. Mm. They want to run away. But no, you just put one foot in front of the other. Let's get the base camp first. Let's get the lay of the land. Let's acclimatize. Let's get the right clothes. Let's you know, let's go shopping first and get the right repair, mm. you know? Mm. And that's a, that's a lot of what I did. I kind of became a, like an autodidact. I went into the science of, of nutrition, our circadian rhythms, uh, you know, eating seasonally and all that kind of stuff, you know? And, and you really have to be your own frontline healthcare worker, yeah. you know, because healthcare, not to demean or discourage or anyone from going to doctors and stuff like that, but it seems to be more like sick care than healthcare. Mm-hmm. As a, they kind of treat the symptoms, but never address the cause. And if they do address the cause, it's easily ignored like I did. I walked out of there going like, well, you don't, you know, I walked out of the doctor's office and never went back. Yeah, yeah. Because they wanted to put me on drugs for the rest of my life and I wasn't having any of that. But like, what's the alternative? The alternative is to save yourself. That's it. You are your frontline care worker. You have to take responsibility. Mm. If you are going down a path of destruction, there's nobody's going to save you but yourself. Superman isn't going to fly in and make everything okay. There's no magic pill. It's all down to personal accountability and responsibility and that's a tough sell that is a tough sell because it seems overwhelming but do your research i you know i'm still not at the top of everest but i'm on my way there Mm. you know Mm. because i did the research because i i became my own frontline healthcare worker if that makes any sense it totally does it totally does but i mean do we ever get to the top either do you know i mean i think that's part of life you're constantly growing learning Taking two steps forward, ten back, or one step back, yeah, yeah. ten forward. There is no times. top of Everest. The top of Everest top. Is, is is when you breathe your last That's breath. It, correct. Uh, but yeah. you know, totally. do you want to hide for the rest of your life, mm. or do you want to embrace life? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to have that adventure? Do you want to try and at least get to the top of Everest? Because yeah. every day is magic when you have an adventure to look forward to. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's 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 kind of where I find myself in the trajectory of right now, fueled by the gift that Hank gave me. It took me a long time to unwrap it, but the gift he gave me is just so, oh, I can't think of anything more profound is to have him in my heart beating with me every day. And I'm not, it's not like I'm living for him or anything like that, but he's, He's just part, yeah, he's just a part of my life, you know, as, yeah. as, you know, I'm sitting here now and both my boys aren't present with me, but it doesn't stop me loving them both right now. Yes. One's alive, one's dead. That's a different aspect. But in my heart, I'm the father of two boys. Yes. And always will be, you yeah. know, and uh, that, that's, that's, 
you know, I think having that power of fatherhood, the power of the love I have for Hank and also the love I have for Ike in how he made me take a long, hard look at myself lying in bed that night when I realised I am going to die. Those doctors are right. And, uh, yeah, just it opened the floodgates. It really opened the floodgates. I mean, run, like I went from running for 10 seconds at mm. a time mm. around this industrial estate. And then uh, a couple of months ago, um, I, on the other side of that wall, I always heard them every now and again, this cacophony, because on the other side of that wall is Claremont Stadium in Navin Town. And when the floodlights were on, I'm on the other side going around this dark and dingy industrial estate. <clears throat> That's the place where I ran 10 marathons in 10 days. When you say that. <laughs> <laughs> so from running for 10 seconds at a time to running 10 marathons in 10 days. In two and a bit years, I think it took between those two events. See, this, uh, the thing that is, sounds like I Guinness know it sounds Book of Records. I know it sounds incredible, stuff. I know it sounds amazing, but yeah. there's nothing amazing about me at all. Uh, Everyone's got this within them. Okay, I, I know that, what you're saying, but it's still a phenomenal. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. This is a thought experiment. This is completely hypothetical. You're out in the Australian out, outback. You've a little boy. Mm. Yeah. I don't mean to get too personal, but you've a little boy. Yeah, yeah. You're out in the Australian outback. He's bitten by a snake. He can't be moved because the venom will go through his system quicker. So he has to stay there. The medicine is 13.1 miles that way. Uh-huh. You're going to get there as fast as you can. You're going to get that medicine and you're going to get back yeah, as yeah. quick as you possibly can. It won't be pretty. You'll be a mess. You'll be exhausted. You'll be fucked by the time you get there. But you will do whatever you can to get back there and give him that medicine, won't you? Yeah, totally. And you would do that every day if you had to, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course. Of course. Ten of marathons course. in ten days is nothing. You've got it in you. Everyone's got it in you. It's the power of love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to say anything to upset you, but that's, no, that's it's, it's a thought experiment. No, it's beautiful. It's, yeah. And, and I hear you. I hear you completely. We've all got it in us. Yeah. And it's not until we're tested that yeah. we realise what we're capable of. Mm. And don't like I ran 10 marathons in 10 days, but like I'm not fast. I was a mess at the end of every one. I was, you know, like, don't I'm not fucking, you know, Eamon Coughlin or any of those, you know, Kip OJ or any of those guys. I'm just a, a regular dude who, you know, decided to, to run because it means something. To me, I get yeah, a lot of yeah. value. It's, it's your why. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And if anyone asks me why I run these ridiculous distances, I hope I never find out why. Mm-hmm. I think Darrow Breen has this great joke where he says, science, if science knew everything, it would stop. You know? Yeah. And I, I figure if I ever figure out why I'm compelled to run these distances, I'll stop. And I don't ever want to find out why. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'd love to go back to is yeah. the year later yeah. meeting Keith and that yeah, when you yeah, said yeah, he didn't, yeah. you know, it took him a, it took him a while to realise you were that chap he met a year mm. year ago. How did that go? It was a meeting. He, it was his first meeting since then. Yeah. I went to every one of them in the interim and I, every time I went there, I was hoping to bump into him again. Yeah. Okay. Because I wanted to thank him. 
Yeah. yeah. I, he it just, I know it was a kind of a throwaway, kind of almost meaningless gesture, but it meant so much to me. And I just, I owed him a debt of gratitude. I just wanted to say, shake his hand and say, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. what you did. That was just, you know, simple. It's just the simplest little things that just have so much weight and value, you know? Absolutely. Sometimes we can meet people for a very short time and they can have a profound impact on mm. your life that in that moment he did. Yeah. And you can know people your entire life and they won't have the same uh, impact on yeah. you. So, so I, I, I get that entirely. Yeah. So did you say that to him when you met him? It was in the meeting and he said he, he arrived late. Yeah. And we were already talking and I was in the middle of being uh, asked a question by Peter. This is Peter Hamlin. He's a uh, bereavement counsellor mm. who leads these meetings for uh, a little lifetime. Great, great man. And um, and I got to finish my thought and, and I turned to Keith then and just said, here, Keith, before we go anywhere else, I need to get I need to tell you, I'm really grateful for what you did it meant so much this that and the other and he's looking at me going like who's this guy yeah yeah okay. and I could see him being confused and I said it's, it's Ian I sat next to you like about a year ago and he says I don't I don't and then I just remember seeing the look in his face of of shock and he goes that's you mm. and yeah and I kind of felt a little embarrassed and I was almost kind of covering myself up a bit kind of going yeah I'm, I'm yeah i got better <laughs> thanks yeah, and, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah no it was um he, he said you look you look like uh, that guy who writes game of thrones <laughs> <laughs> that's what you used to look like and he just he wouldn't stop about it look at you look at you and uh, yeah and i'm like because mm. i i'm very self-conscious okay. anyway and yeah. you know and any kind of attention like that is a bit weird especially having been for fat for so long is that and and kind of body dysmorphia kind of does haunt me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, there's when you when you lose that amount of body weight, and especially so rapidly. And what what was it, if you don't mind me asking, at that point? It was. I had gotten. I got down to two hundred pounds. No, I got down to one nine eight. Was the lowest I got. I'm now about two ten. Yeah. And it was three fifty. Plus, I, I, that's where I stopped weighing myself know, yeah, at 350. Yeah yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it could have been a lot more. Um, so that's in stones. I think that's about 10 or 11 stone. Yeah. In a know. year. Yeah. And that was really, that wasn't Less just than a year, down. actually. Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was a combination of the running, but also the food. You tackled it all. The running came um, towards the end of that. It but was about it? eight yeah. months in. I started on. I didn't do a tap. It was all to do with my relationship with food. Mm. Um because you can't outrun a bad diet, you know? Yeah. You can't outrun the, the McDonald's. You can't outrun the chip or chips. You know, you have to... Uh, food, and my relationship with food, more importantly, was what I had to address. And did you get extra help with that? Just, it just sounds like you were going from a place of being, like, very stuck in a certain way of behaving to utter transformation. You did it yourself? I did it, yeah, alone. Wow, that's uh, really impressive. I didn't... I, yeah, it was. it was... Is because of that night when it came from within. Yeah. I knew it was an emergency and I knew I had to take responsibility and I knew there was nobody else who could do this. You got to dial in what works for yourself. You got to do your research and you got to sort of make yourself a guinea pig in a, in a sense and find out what works for you because we're all different, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I subsist on a completely whole food, plant based 
eating protocol right now. I don't call it a diet because I think what the success was is I quit dieting three years ago today. Great. I stopped dieting. Dieting yeah. is bullshit. Dieting is a multi-billion dollar industry because it sets people up to fail because all they want is a repeat custom. Dieting is cruel and it's not the right way to eat. Mm. Um, I don't want to go off on a rant now about it. But, no, but that's, again, that's a very important message. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's, it really sets up people to fail and it's temporary. Yeah. You know, you, you get to a certain point, I'll do this for two months, I'll do this for three months. But no, you ha- what really needs to happen is a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. Consistency. And, and that's what I did three years ago is to, is to just change my attitude towards food, what I identified as food and what I use as fuel. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of pleasure you can get out of f- food, but ultimately what it is is fuel for your body to burn energy. That, that moment of sensual pleasure you get on the tongue and the palate is fleeting, mm. but it remains in your system and fuels and feeds your system for a long time after that sensu- sensuous pleasure subsides. So you've kind of got to weigh up what's more important, you know, that delicious slice of pepperoni pizza or what it's going to do with, to you for hours and hours afterwards. So again, going back to the, to the running from, you know, the, the few seconds at a time mm. and then building up to minutes and then longer. When did you, like, what was the progression from that to running a, a longer distance to then tackling a marathon and now, you know, <laughs> that jump into the ultra? ultra. Yeah, um, I didn't really have a goal when I went out f- teaching myself to run. I just thought I need to learn how to run. Mm. I just wanted to run for a sustained period of time. Uh, so I was running for 10 seconds, walking for 30, and I built up to 30, then walking for 10. You know, uh, just slowly but surely. I mean, you don't go out and do it straight away. you got to do it for sure. And this was I was only doing that for like 10 minutes one night maybe 15 the next night, you know, and taking a day off in between, you know, you don't, again, you don't get even go to base camp until you buy the clothes in the shop first. Mm. So it was then I, I went to a thing in Navin. I think they have them all over Ireland. Uh, it's called uh, Men on the Move. Okay. I think that's what it was called. Um, it's like, hel- you know, a healthy exercise thing for men in their 40s kind of thing. So uh, it was at that I learned of the park run. Okay, yeah. That goes on, well, it doesn't stop now, but hopefully it'll be back soon. The park one, which is the 5K run all around the country mm. every Saturday. And I thought, okay, 5K, can I do that? And that's, I put, that was a goal in mind then. So Dece- the first sat- sun- Saturday, I should say, the first Saturday in December was on its way park run I said right I put that in my calendar and I get myself ready to do the park run 5k but I don't want to show up not being able to cover the 5k distance I was you know I'm an introvert and I suffer from anxiety and I just I don't like to you know mm. I want to be prepared before I do it I yeah, think yeah. you know my philosophy really is you know prepared you know I think as uh, Benjamin Franklin said if you fail to prepare you prepare to fail. fail yeah yeah or Roy Keane don't let people like to say it's that's Roy Keane I said that's my dad there he's, he's oh yeah Roy Keane I said, I no like, no Benjamin Franklin another fellow said it before yeah it's Roy Keane <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so where was it yeah the, the park run the park run yeah yeah I learned to that at the man on the move thing and I okay mm. that's and it's every Saturday and it's free okay if it's free then sign me up yeah and it says you have to go online get a barcode this that and the other okay I'll, I'll do that 
So I went out to the industrial estate uh, with my app. And the app I was using was called Zombies Run. Okay. <laughs> like a couch to 5K thing, but it was with zombies. You know, so <laughs> the zombies would chase you. You'd hear them in your headphones. No way. You know, to make, oh, the, here comes your 10-second sprint, and you hear that. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever and works. It, and it worked. It was, yeah, it was Expected. fun. It made it, it made it a bit more enjoyable rather than just, you know, because some of the other apps are very... Um, kind of uh doesn't appeal to the i guess the nerd in me yeah you know yeah. zombies is much more fun <laughs> rather than some <laughs> svelte athlete going come on okay. yeah, your grand no, i'd rather have a zombie chase me thanks because <laughs> zombies don't run anyway so <laughs> um so yeah i went out and a week beforehand i had about three weeks before then and about a week beforehand i went out and i was always including my front doors my my uh I had to finish at my front door. I wasn't going to take one step further than I needed to, you know. So I was always, my front door was the start point and the end point, you know. So when I'd go out, I'd include that. Um, so I went out and started running. And the person in my headphones said, right, you can walk now. And I just said, no, no, I'll do that the next, I'll keep, I'll keep going until the next one. The person said, okay, you can walk now. I said, no, no, I'm going to keep going, going to keep going, going to keep going. And I didn't want to stop. I said, no, I'm going to get to 5K. This is going to happen tonight. I feel it. Mm. I'm just going to keep going until, until I reach 5K. And just, it just felt brilliant that I, because I think a few days before that, I went out and walked the dog and measured five kilometers walking. Mm. And I remember coming home from going, how the fuck am I supposed to run that distance that I'm knackered from walking it, mm. you know? And um, so I showed up at the first park run and they have this thing, is any newcomers put your hands up? And I'm like, no, you're grand. Yeah. So I hid down the back and stayed down the back. But I, I finished that park run and what I found was that the people there were just so welcoming. Yeah. You know, and mm. I'm driving to the park run and there was people running to the park run. Mm. And I'm like, what are you running before going for a run for? You know, <laughs> it's like this is mad. I saw, I'm in out of my head. And again, that fight or flight thing that like, same as being outside the, the, the bereaved father's meeting, I just said, I want to turn around and go back home. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. No, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I said, no, I, I've been experiencing a lot of benefits in my life, but by getting out of my comfort zone, mm. let's try this. Let's just get, park the car and maybe get out. And again, I was like, I didn't go straight to the start line. I was like, I'm going to find the race director or the parkrun director. And I talked to him. I was like, this is my first time. What do I do? Yeah. You know, and he was really friendly, really nice. And I finished that first parkrun. And I'm talking about 40 minute 5Ks. You know, I'm not, you know. But you did it. Mr. Ath yeah, this is it. So talk to me about the September. <laughs> it's a big month. Yeah, it's, it's the month. Um, in, I turned 50 this month. And this is the birthday I was told by the doctor that, you know, the way I was going, I wasn't going to live to see 50. Mm. And, and I, I, to be honest, I can't believe it myself because, you know, a year after uh, sitting down to that breakfast, I, I ran my first marathon and then I ended up running like five marathons that year. Uh, 2020 came, the year of lockdown, and I started running ultra distances. And I just, because it seemed impossible, you know, and I just kept going and going and going and then this September I'm turning 50 a year that I wasn't expected to to live to see and I've signed up for the Kerryway Ultra which is a 
Ireland's longest and most brutal trail race, which is 200 kilometres around the Ivory uh, Peninsula. Um, what? And I what don't. Did you say? I, I didn't realise it was that long. How long? 200 kilometres, which is about 100 and under 130 miles. Just so am, am I right in thinking that <coughs> ultras can vary in length? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They start wow. out about uh, 50 kilometres. Is your basic. 50, yeah, which is... It's, <laughs> which an, is huge. An ultra, by definition, is anything longer than a marathon. Yeah, all right, OK. But it's not like walking back to the car park after you finish your marathon. It's, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't include the extra 100 metres. It has to be something substantial. So it's 50k is typically the shortest ultra marathon. Then 50 miles. Then uh, what's next after that? 50 miles. Then uh, 100 kilometres. And 100 miles, and they can go up to 200 and then multi-day events, you know. Wow, so wow, it's, wow. This, is the, this is my biggest challenge yet. If I haven't, fur, the furthest I've run is 50 miles. Yeah. And that was uh, a barefoot marathon, uh, ultramarathon I did uh, last September, which was... Uh, barefoot. Yeah. I'm glad I did it. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to do it again, what were but I'm glad like I did afterwards? it. Was that? What were your feet like afterwards? Uh, they were quite swollen for God. about a week afterwards, wow. yeah. yeah. But... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, my victory essentially is is standing at the starting line of the Kerry Way Ultra with the pistol about to go. Mm. That's my victory. Anything that happens after that is unwritten. I've no idea if I don't if I don't make it to the end, if I don't make the cutoff, I got to stand at the starting line, and that blows me away. Yeah, that is so important to me because I wasn't supposed to be able to even be alive. Mm. And I'm, 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 and it's not out of bravado or, or sort of ego or look what aren't I amazing? And the fact is, is that we're all fucking amazing. We've all got this ability within us, and I've just decided to stop suppressing, stop overthinking, and just going with whatever compels you to move forward. Because that's that's we, like I said, we the YOLO thing. Yeah. Run with open arms and embrace life, embrace adventure. This is what we evolved to be. Bipedal primates. Mm. We are evolved to move, you know? And I encourage just anyone listening to just get out and take your shoes off and walk around a beautiful lawn of green grass and just feel nature. Because we are nature. Exactly. Yeah. You're such an inspiration. I uh, I've absolutely loved and found this conversation to be incredibly profound and um, thank you for being here and for giving so much of yourself to help to help other people can we support what you're doing because I know that you are hashtag running for Hank this yeah. is the this yeah. is the reason yeah. how can we help I, I appreciate again the invitation and, and your kind words right there it really means a lot and thank you um, as for as for help, yeah, I've been doing a bunch of different fundraisers uh, over the while. I find, you know, people really pay attention to you when you run stupid distances. So why not direct that attention onto something important? Um, and what's important to me right now is uh, I'm, I guess I'm a filmmaker by trade. And what I'm attempting to do at the minute is to raise funds for a, a documentary film. It's I call it Survived By. And it's a, it's an intimate portrait of infant loss uh, from the perspective of dads. Um, and it's made by bereaved fathers, for bereaved fathers. And of course, if anyone else gets derives benefit from, from watching the film. Um, I'm trying to raise 10 grand, which is typically what like the Screen Ireland film board would 
give as development funding. Um, I've decided I would rather do this grassroots rather than get a production company involved or funding from government bodies, whatever, because things kind of get distilled. And I don't want this to end up being in a very sort of... I want this to be real and as honest and as truthful and from the heart as I can possibly make it. I want to make it honest and genuine. Mm. And the only way I can do that is to appeal to people to help me make it and make it the right way and not in a, you know, throwaway human interest kind of distilled kind of way. Mm. I think that's... And, yeah, runningforhank.com forward slash 101010. It's named after the, uh, the 10 marathons in 10 days. And I'm still running a marathon a month every month for the rest of the years. Another 10 marathons in addition to the 10 wow. I ran in, in January, just to keep, keep the momentum going. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, You'll um, be well oiled by September. So, yeah, yeah. well, look, the link will be in the show notes. And please, if you've connected with Ian and his experience, please support what he's doing, because I think it's really important. And thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. It's been an absolute honour to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Likewise. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please show your support by leaving a rating or a comment on Apple and by clicking follow on Spotify. I'd be so grateful. You've been listening to Ready To Be Real Conversations. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.